Welcome to Formula 101. I'm Peyton, and this is not your average race recap of Formula 1 races. I'm going to be talking about a lot of exciting things both on and off the track, and I'm so happy you guys are listening with me. Uh this is going to be a fun ride, so thanks for coming along. So welcome back. This is a new kind of brand new mini series that I'm going to be interjecting with my other longer episodes that I'm starting today known as the ABCs of F1. And this kind of sprung from the idea that I found through my own personal experience in joining F1 that there is a lot of terminology and jargon that is inherent to the sport and kind of makes it a little bit unfriendly to new viewers. So this series is meant to break down that terminology. And since this sport is so full of complicated terms that are thrown around a lot by commentators and drivers, that this is going to be a spot where we can talk about those terms that you hear but never really figure out. And I want to be kind of be able to share with you guys these terms and discuss them, break them down as simply as I possibly can so that the next time you watch an interview or a race, you have a lot better understanding of what's going on in the race or what they're talking about because these terms are now familiar to you. So in each episode, I'm going to take it kind of letter by letter, A through Z. Some might have more terms, some might have less, but I'll pick a couple terms under that letter and explain the most important facets of them for you to understand. And so today we're going to be covering A through C. And now the first word under A, we're starting off with a bang, is aerodynamics. And you're probably thinking patent aerodynamics is such a big term, it's so complicated. How in the world am I going to understand aerodynamics in a calm and concise manner? Well, good question. It's kind of hard. Uh it's going to include some physics, so beware. But I think understanding or at least having a basic understanding of aerodynamics will help you better grasp other terms that I'm going to talk about later in this series cuz it's it is broad, yes, but it applies to a lot. It's super important in F1, so understanding it will help you understand more if that makes any sense. But I uh, kind of to prepare for this, I watched a lot of videos on YouTube to break down aerodynamics cuz physics, let me be honest with you, it was my worst subject in school. I was terrible at it. I still don't understand it. But uh, there are a lot of YouTube videos that break it down in a way that can be a great supplement to this episode and help you kind of figure it out in total. I watched one was by Chain Bear, that's C H A I N Bear B E A R. YouTube channel has a great does a really great job at kind of breaking things down uh to make them easier to understand. But aerodynamics essentially is the science of manipulating the flow of air over the car to produce downforce. So this includes all the work being put in by the front and back wings and all the little bumps and curves and turns that are on the outside of an F1 car. Now yes, aerodynamics is broad. It encompasses a ton of unique terms underneath it like downforce which I'll talk about when I get to the letter D but really essentially as the air flows over the car the back wing pushes the air upwards and therefore pushes back on the car downwards so the very basic shape of the back wing I like to think about as the Nike symbol it's kind of like the swoosh it swoops upward 
And so the air that hits the top of the wing when a car is moving through the air, that air is going slower and therefore it has a higher pressure. And so while the air, so I guess on the other end, the air that is hitting the bottom of the wing is squashed together in a lot smaller space. So think about how at the top of the wing, you have all that space all the way up to the sky, all of that massive area for the air to go. But obviously underneath the wing, it's a, it's a tiny spot. And so the air that is heading in that direction is squashed together and it speeds up and then it has a lower pressure. And so since air seeks to go to this space of lowest pressure, the air does follow the curve of the wing instead of just going straight on because it's searching for this spot of low pressure. And so that's kind of why the air sticks to the bottom of the wing. And now the air is pushing harder on the top of the wing than the bottom. And this is what produces the downforce and keeps the car straight and flat on the road. Now, aerodynamics also includes a lot of discussions about turbulence, about drag, even diffusers, and all the different slots on the sides of the car, but I don't have time to discuss that here. I'll probably even have a full episode on aerodynamics to better, more fully kind of dig out this topic. Now, the second A term is apex, and this has to do with the cornering of an F1 car. So often, but not always, the apex sits at the geometric center of the turn, and it is always on the inside of the turn. So the driver's goal is to hit the apex as they turn, as this is the fastest and most efficient line they can take on a lap. So if you hear a commentator talking about, oh, so-and-so is on the racing line, they're likely talking about the driver hitting the apex on a turn. And so when a driver is coming into a corner, let's say it's a right-hander, they come in on the far left side of the track, they fully apply the brakes at the correct point, and they downshift to the correct gear before turning in to try and hit the apex with their wheels. So once they hit it, they automatically want to try and get right back on the power, and then they'll drift out again onto the outer limits of the track as they leave. So essentially, it's all about carrying speed into the corner, not going too fast, and not locking up, hitting that apex with their wheel, and then getting the power down as soon as they leave. Now, moving on to the B words. The first one here is brake bias slash brake balance. I'm grouping them together. They're they're pretty similar. Uh, They'll probably be used interchangeably if you hear them talked about in a technical video uh, about F1, but this is the ratio of braking force between the front wheels and, or excuse me, the brakes of the front wheels and the brakes of the rear wheels. So this directly impacts the stability of a racing car during the braking and when they turn into a corner. So obviously the mechanics and the drivers, they want to avoid oversteer and understeer as much as possible. So fiddling with this brake bias is important to making sure or preventing those things from happening as much as as they could if that ratio were off. And so too much, having too much of the ratio kind of focusing on the rear brakes will tend to cause the car to spin. But if there's too much front brakes, 
the car might not turn in it might might miss the corner entirely and will miss the apex so therefore it was a very inefficient and slow drive that's that's kind of the basics and so f1 cars have two independent brake circuits and these converge at the brake pedal in the car and now you might think that the brake bias is something that is solely determined by those on the pit wall or is something that they set once over the course of the season and never look at again? Nope, that's not true. Actually, the drivers can adjust the brake bias themselves on their steering wheel. And especially, a lot of things are kind of taken into account when looking at this brake bias, because it's not just how the driver feels on that day or their specific driving characteristics. It's also important for the teams to incorporate info about you know, where the circuit is, its elevation, the temperature, and the weather, all of these will go into deciding that specific ratio. The second B word is balaclava. This is kind of our fun one for the day. And this is not something that's specific to F1, but it took me a little bit of time to kind of understand what this was. And the balaclava is this ski mask looking thing that the drivers put on under their helmet, usually like a cream, white, or a black color. And so drivers wear protective gear each race under their, their full outer suit, whatever team they're on, that you wear these things to protect from injury and fire. And so there's multiple layers under the suit. I think a lot of people will even refer to them as fireproofs. But they're made of two layers of Nomex, which is a fire retardant material. And the importance of such layers springs from the fact that in F1, they used to actually refuel cars mid-race. So cars would come in for a pit stop, and they would put more fuel in the gas tank. And now, logically, moving an extremely flammable material around an extremely high temperature object seems like a bad idea in retrospect, but they that was something that was, was done for a long time in the sport. And it was subsequently banned in 2009 because of its cost, uh, that pit stops were taking too long. They weren't, uh, they weren't around the two to three second time that we see now in the pit stops. They were a lot longer. And that it was just generally unsafe. Cars would literally go up in flames in the pit lane if something went wrong. And sometimes it did go wrong and there were massive accidents. And so the balaclava protects against safety issues. And so if there is a fire, the driver is protected a lot more than they would be if they were just wearing their helmet. Now, moving on to the last two C words. The first one is chassis. I was introduced to this word through... The TV show Top Gear, uh, because they're in the UK and they say different things than we do here in America. But the chassis is basically the skeleton of the car. So it's the bones. It's the main component of the car that everything else is attached to. And usually it's made of carbon fiber and similar ultra lightweight materials. So it's supposed to be rigid and strong and obviously keep the car from falling apart but it still needs to be as light as possible because it contributes to the minimum weight permissible for the car and the driver, but not the fuel. So you may notice during a race, if you're watching a practice or a qualifying, that the drivers go to get weighed after the race. Uh, they, they stand on a little scale and somebody writes down a number, or you'll see the cars being randomly selected to go on a weigh bridge during practice. And this is because there's a minimum weight limit for both the car and the driver. Right now, it's at 
740 kilograms, which is 1,631 pounds. Uh, but you've even we've even seen over the past couple years that the weight for drivers has gone up so that they can weigh a little bit more, not worry about being super lean. But again, there is a weight component that the chassis plays a big role in because while it may not be the heaviest thing in the car, it's super vital to safety and to just functioning and high performance of the car. So it needs to be both strong, but also lightweight because they don't want it to contribute too much to that limit. And so while the FIA does have rules that teams have to follow with the chassis, like if it's it's safe and it's the right dimension and such, but each team does construct their own chassis themselves. So that can contribute to some of the changes and performance levels between teams. So again, it provides rigidity and strength uh, that holds the car together, but it also, again, protects the driver. The last term is the Concord Agreement. And so this is actually an agreement between the FIA and the Formula One teams that wish to race in the sport. And it is a document that is revised and signed every year, I believe, or over a span of a few years. And the first iteration was drawn up in 1981. So it is a commercial document that defines how F1's television revenues and prize money will be distributed. So Bernie Eccleston played a huge role in how F1's broadcasting rights and TV presence have kind of just existed over its whole lifespan. It's something I'd recommend reading up about because he kind of single-handedly shaped that whole world, and that's still playing out in how F1 is broadcasted and shared and showed across the world today. And now to compete in Formula One, every team must sign the Concord Agreement. So it's that's the literal definition of what it is. That's the bare bones. You Either you sign it, yes, you sign it, and yes, you participate, or no, you don't sign it, and no, you don't participate. That's just kind of how it works. And so the new deal that was signed for 2021 included a lot of new changes, including the cost cap for how much teams can spend each year and alterations that sought to help the team become, or excuse me, help the field become more competitive and therefore decrease the disparity between teams. Because as much as Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have enjoyed their dominance over the the past year since the hybrid era in 2014, The same can't be said for a lot of fans who have been outspoken about the predictability of the seasons, that the lack of exciting competition is really hurting the sport's image and not really attracting new fans or people who want to join the fan base. So all the teams of 2020 have signed on for this 2021 change. So it's the FIA and the fan base's hope that these changes will rectify the lack of a competition, essentially, and make the racing closer, make there be, just make F1 return to its pinnacle of motorsport label that it's really always given itself. So that is it for this episode, the first episode of the ABCs of F1. Today we did A through C. Next episode will likely be the next three letters, and we'll probably be in a few weeks' time. I want to interject these in between my other ones, keep those going. 
But please let me know if you like these. Please give me a shout on social media if you got any ideas. But thank you again for listening, uh, and I will see you in a few weeks.